0: Jerry Lee standing in for the manifester, uh tonight, Tracks on the Mount of Transfiguration. <clears throat> I want to say that this is going to be uh, a, a, be a series of teachings. It will probably take me three to possibly even five teachings to uh, get through uh, this subject uh, and all of the uh, incredible meanings of, of uh Revelation and depth that um, it infers uh, as as to many many uh, wonderful insights. So then, uh, let us um, <clears throat> let us start um, in an unseemly place. <laughs> Let's start in the in uh, over in um, uh, the book of Ephesians. What uh, what I'm going to be dealing uh, with is I'm going to be dealing with forensic biblical explanations. Don't let that uh, terrify you anything. Uh, I want you people that are that are becoming faithful listeners and readers of uh, the works that I've been putting out. I want you to be very patient and very believing. That any of these things that you don't entirely understand at this point, that God is going to enable you to understand. God is going to enable you to uh, to come into this and and have uh, a clarity. So uh, blessed be the name of God. We just uh, <clears throat> we we are so thankful uh, for for the word. Okay, so in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to um, read. Um, in verse and um, chapter five verse uh, uh, thirteen but all things but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever it doth make manifest is light now <clears throat> there are things that have to be reproved there are um are revelations that um are, um, as the Bible even puts it, are sometimes under a veil, under a cloud. And uh, and because of that cloud or that veil or that shadow, uh, there is not a clarity. And people only know in part and understand in part until that shadow has been removed. And uh, But the Bible is saying, look, it is the plan of God for all things to be manifested. It is the plan of God. And, uh, but there are things that have to be reproved. There are things that have to be dealt with, uh, before they are, uh, they, they are of the nature that people are going to understand them or that, that, uh, uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, someone come along that can reveal them. And then we go on down to verse 16 and it says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And, and so, um, evil. Has something to do with a reduction of generated time. Has something to do with the re- reduction of of redeemed time, uh, time that is uh, is applicable uh, to your genera- generating. Uh, we we find in old scriptures uh, of the Old Testament and 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 in the New Testament <clears throat> that there is the um, the situation in which. Uh, you have uh, uh, generations uh, that do not apply, uh, or, or you have a, a, you have times that do not apply toward uh, those uh, transaccumulated uh, advantageous events that you that you live that uh, that apply uh, to your uh, spiritual uh, benefit. So uh, that is a real case in many scriptures to substantiate that, but that 's not my subject but but we 're just you know traveling over it on the way to the mountain, and in traveling over it on the way to the mountain we 've come across these two things I just read to you the number one, the thing about um, you know that everything needs to be manifested, but some things have to be reproved before they can be manifested uh, number two that uh, uh, you have to redeem the time. You you have to to uh, to take whatever has been um, um, has been revealed or whatever is an event <coughs> whatever is happening in that time and you're going to need to you're going to need to uh, bring it into the kingdom of God uh, you're going to have to redeem it you know and and so there are many different uh, ways and methods that God has given uh to bring that about but uh but uh, for sure, one of the things is about equating everything uh unto God, you know just just um, equating everything unto god as belonging to uh to God to the kingdom as being submitted unto god 's will and and when you do that <clears throat> it, it is a transformation it, it is a transpose and so uh, these are the kind of things that we are um, very interested in looking at and thinking about, and and uh, preparing and comparing tonight as we dig into this uh, forensic search of the tracks. and And we look at these tracks and we say, okay, now there's these tracks, and this was part of the the Mount of Transfiguration uh, experience. and And we have to we have to take those tracks back into time. And as we take them back into time, all kinds of revelations begin to abound as to what the ultimate meaning of the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration was with Peter, uh, James, and John. And so, blessed be the name of God. It's exciting. Okay, now, let's go on. We're still in Ephesians. Now, this would seem to totally not be in alignment with the teaching. But believe me, it is. And so allow me to seemingly get off track, but really be on track, as I use these examples uh, to be able to set up your way of thinking so you can discern as to how I am coming uh, toward these uh, revelations of tract, and how that they are in fact and indeed the Bible uh, method, the, vibe, the Bible language. and once we learn the Bible language language we're able to better understand what it is that God is saying in His word by that language. okay. Now here we go. We're still um, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and um, let's start off um, let's start off with verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another. In the fear of God. I usually uh, translate that into the reverence of God. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And so, <clears throat> there's no reason why your belief should be incorporated in fear as you try to, uh, uh, to give uh, reverence uh, to God. So, um, that's why I do it that way. And uh, it is um, totally correct. Now, here it goes. Wives. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. Now, don't jump off the bandwagon. Don't jump into a conclusion until you hear this whole thing I'm going to say. <clears throat> because it's very likely going to be quite different from what you think it is that I'm going to say. So just hang on. Give me my chance. <clears throat> give me my chance. Pardon me. Um <laughs> I don't know why I have to get gooped up just about the time I get ready to get on here, but seems like that's what happens. Okay. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, we have to understand what that all means. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, I want you to get this language in here. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Okay. Now, you have to understand something in this revelation. That when a wife is submitting herself according to this doctrine here to the husband um, as unto the Lord, then the example of it is that that Christ is the head of the church, but the church is the body of Christ. Now let's say that we're talking about you as a human being. And let's say that we're talking about your body. And... Um, uh, and you've got your head, and you've got your body. Now, does your head love your body? Well, it 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 better because um, the head can't get along without the body, and the body can't get along without the head. Someone says, "Well, I don't think that's the case." In in, in comparison to Jesus, well, it absolutely is. And and believe me, uh, I, I can give you a streaming Bible for it to show you that. Uh, that, that God is so connected uh, to, to his body, uh, which are um, the, his angels, because he's the Lord of a host, the Lord of hosts. That host belongs to him and is promised to him that none of those that have ever been put in his hands that, w- you know, that, that uh, would uh, be plucked out of his hands. And um, so there, there is some very powerful things when you really realize uh, the church not just being a building, not just being a group of human beings that are worshiping, uh, you know, under the idea of being saved or born again or all those kind of concepts that they teach, but that um, being part of the Church of the Firstborn, uh, uh, born from above, and and all of those uh, teachings, such as I have recently gone through with you, uh, that that all of a sudden, when it says here in the scripture that the husband, when he loves his loves his wife, he loves himself, because what does it say in the in, the, in Genesis? Two become one. The two become one. They're no longer two. They're no longer twain. They're they're one. They're they're even one flesh. So when we really understand the meaning of that as applies to god to to, to christ uh it is sensational and and don't don't uh, don't give up the ghost yet uh hang in there with me till i get a chance to finish this because it's it's absolutely uh, astonishing all, all the meaning that it has here okay so um uh, it goes on um and and i i read i read it to, to you uh uh, husband love. Uh, verse 25. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious to himself a glorious church, a glorious wife, not having spot or wrinkle or anything, but that it should be uh, a body, it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. Love your neighbor as you, as, you, as you love yourself. Was another way the Bible put it. Okay? For no man yet ever hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are members of that. Whatever Christ did with that body, He was doing that with us. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. And so if you deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, you are denying your self-existence. You are denying your own self-existence. And that, that, that gets really close to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that that is what it is, but I'm saying it starts getting close. Because you deny yourself salvation. Wow. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and they shall, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. This, now listen to this. Now this is the one I want to hit on right here. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, anybody that got all bubbled up over some of this stuff and began to form doctrine about the superiority of of of, uh, of the male over the female, uh, they were basing it on something uh, uh, that was made out of chalk because they were not reading what was really in here. So they were just reading an imaginary line that, that was purposed in their own mind because what was really said in here in verse 32 is explained. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So when he says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, he's saying, I'm speaking about the church. I'm speaking about Christ. That's what this is about. Okay. Nevertheless, just in case any of you get to getting confused about how you should treat each other. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Now, he's speaking to the man part of it, the male part of it here. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife see that she has reverence to her husband. But if you love your wife as you love yourself, then yourself and the wife are one and the same. They become twain one flesh. So, you your body has to learn to have reverence for it being the temple of God, for it being the support apparatus for the head, and that is the beautiful connection because in the end all of us are ophanims, and in the end. Any of the people that would come back and regenerate could come back as a male or they could come back as a female. And just taking on that body form is not going to make you less, and that's why the Bible says then in Christ, in God in Christ, you're neither male nor female. You're neither bond bond nor free. You're neither Jew nor Greek. It's so important. So very, very important. Okay. Now, uh, just a few more little things here for this setup. Uh, I guess, uh, what I'm trying to show you here is that people get into the Bible and they'll read something like this first part here. Wives, submit yourselves and, uh, unto your husband. And then they'll make up a doctrine, a religion out of it. And they'll have, uh, the, the women being, uh, secondary, third, uh, dairy citizens. Uh, they'll have them being inferior and 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 you've got that all over the world today in a lot of religions where the woman is inferior they have no rights in many nations they really don't they really don't have a right to an education they really don't have a right to 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 recognition uh for hardly anything except to be a tool to please uh their master their husband and and so uh these are ideas that people have picked up from doctrinal uh, and religious ideas that are based on not understanding the Bible. That many times, the Bible is saying something, but it is proverbial. It, it, it has other meanings to it. And, and they are reading the wrong meanings into it. They are missing the mystery of God. And when they miss the mystery of God, uh, believe me, the whole thing is out in the shambles. Be- because uh, without it being tied into the mystery of God, the whole picture is only partial. Okay, so then, um, you know, uh, there, there, of course, are, are, uh, are other examples that, that are very important, uh, you know, uh, that we, we have to acknowledge. Uh, we have to understand that many of these things that God tells us to do, that when he says render, like in, in uh, chapter 6, uh, verse, um, verse uh, 5, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh. Uh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So what this is saying, whatever kind of business that you are in, you have, you have uh, bosses over you, you have authorities over you, uh, management over you. Uh, when you give these people your, your attention as following uh, their orders and, and uh, giving them respect, uh, render that as unto Christ, so that that your efforts in just your common jobs and common ways of life become manifold because everything that you 're doing there you 're saying i 'm doing this, but i 'm doing this not to magnify uh, uh, the works of of, uh, of common flesh and the works of common uh, life on this planet. But I am, I am, I am justifying all of that by rendering it unto Christ, and and that becomes such a powerful, incredible thing. So, um, uh, you know, verse seven, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So that when you render unto God all these various things and understandings, you are rendering that actually uh, a, a, to to uh, an acc- accumulated uh, uh, merit, like we call it trans accumulation. And uh, this uh, whole idea of uh, you know trans accumulation is. Just an absolutely beautiful thing, and uh, uh, we we have to just stop here for a moment. The Bible says, um, you know, about putting treasures up in heaven, and uh, and so there is the the ultimate um, uh, trans accumulation in which uh, people are getting a soul soul uh, with a with a, a capital S, a spirit soul. Uh, um, Restoration in in the sense of being identified again to that soul, being born again from above to that soul, and so transaccumulation uh, then means that you, you can you can just begin to get to to garner and to, to gain all kinds of transaccumulation just by rendering things you do on on the earth. Uh, many people say, you know, by time I I, I sleep which is, you know, let's say I sleep eight hours or, or, or more or a little less. By the time I eat, uh, by the time I take care of business, I work a job or I, I take care of the family, there's hardly any time left to be spiritual. So how am I ever going to overcome? How am I ever going to experience restoration? Well, it's really quite simple how God has revealed it. In everything that you are doing, and everything that you are working at, in a job, or that you are living at, uh, no matter what it is, you know, uh, uh, unless it's just some horrible evil thing. But but if, if we're, we're talking now just about you know general things, because you know Jesus did tell people uh, you know to, to while they're waiting for the coming uh, to to get involved, and and he he recommended that that they could uh, they could. Uh, uh, Get employed. Uh, it's it's all there in the Bible. I, that's not my message tonight, but uh, it, it's there. Believe me, and um, and uh, uh, used in a slightly different uh, uh, term. I'm paraphrasing it, but but it, it's clear that, it, that it's there. Now, um, as we are doing this rendering, we are working our way towards towards ultimate transaccumulation. Which is bring that restoration uh, bit by bit uh, back to our relationship with our soul, uh, spirit soul, which is in heaven. Okay, now what does that have to do with tracks upon uh, the Mount of Transfiguration? These things have to have everything to do with it, because what it is showing is that in life things are connected. Uh, you take the the Mount of Transfiguration the things that happened on that mount, um, was, were, were there instances that uh, are important about what happened before that mount? Are there things important? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, if you don't understand that, then you can't possibly know the mystery. You can't possibly know uh, the the forensic uh, uh, track down of of those events. Like for instance, we're going to talk about this in more detail a little later, but we we know according to the scripture that Moses appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, and and where that Mount of Transfiguration was. Uh, was contained within the land uh, of which Moses was told that he could not cross over. He could not go over in, in, into into that land uh, where uh, the, um, the children of Israel were going to be set up. That he could not cross over. And we're going to get into that. But then, even though that was said, all of a sudden we see uh, that Moses has a- appeared there. In this land where he was not supposed to be able to go, and what has happened that has allowed uh, Moses to go into this land, appear on the mount where he was told that he couldn't go? What was that, what what happened that 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 allowed that to occur, uh, so that Moses could could you know go to the to the mount, and then in the book of Jude, and we're, we're going to get over some of this stuff, lots of things. It basically tells how that there was a a dispute between Satan and, and Michael the Archangel over the body of Moses. And obviously there's some big revelation there that has to do uh with how that as a result of Michael winning that war that tug of war with, with Satan, how that um uh, Moses was then able to come and be on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three disciples and with Jesus. Those, in my opinion, are absolutely incredible things. Excuse me. So, those are forensic tracks. Because we see, okay, there's a story there about Moses. And what does that all mean? We need to know that whole story. We need to know what that... That tug of war was between Satan and Michael, and what the meaning of that was. We need to know about how uh, the conditions uh, were changed, and making it so that Moses could come over, you know, literally in a physical representation. So it's um, it's awesome to me, and that's just the beginning. But 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 the thing is that you have to bear with is is that many times. Uh, Things are given as symbols and, uh, and parables. And we have to understand that the mystery is entwined in those. And they have to be unraveled so that we can really understand what the full message and revelation is that is being spoken. This full message and revelation has a lot of very deep, deep connection as to whether a person is going to understand what it really means uh, that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Mount of Transfiguration, believe me, was a gigantic thing. Jesus said just a few days, six to eight days before he took his disciples up there, he says, Some of you that stand here will not taste of, of death. Until you have seen the kingdom of the glory of God. And then a few days later he took Peter, Cephas, which means stone, rock. And he took John and James, who were brothers. Who were called the sons of thunder. And he took them up to the mount. And what is all that connection? Why did he take those three? He had twelve disciples. Why did he not take all twelve disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration? And why did he particularly take those three? And why was it that of all those other disciples, that that same John was the John that was standing there next to Mary, and the other, other uh, followers, the lady followers of Jesus, and he stood there while all the other disciples basically fled now, now we, we can't say that's a 100% uh, percent thing, because some of them may have, and there may be others that were uh, involved in a, a, a spiritual uh, preparation, uh, you know, for uh, what would follow the crucifixion. Uh, we, we, we don't know at that time that we're talking about when, Jesus, when John stood out at the cross. But we can say this. That John was there, and that Jesus did recognize him being there, and did did say to to John, uh, John, uh, your mother. And he's pointing at his mother. He was beckoning at his mother. Uh, I want you to take over my mother, and she'll be your mother, and and you'll be you'll be uh, his you, you uh, he, he, you'll be uh, uh, a son to her. Uh, and the Bible says that uh, from that time on that uh you know John took her into his home, so it's a very very incredibly connected thing there there is a twine line uh there is a scarlet line uh there is a crystal sea element involved uh you know because we remember that that it, at this particular place revealed in revelations that there is depicted uh, uh, this, the sea of crystal, the, the crystal glass. The, and on that crystal glass, uh, on that sea of glass, uh, which was crystal glass... Um, are They are singing the songs of Moses and the songs of the Lamb. So there's this entwining of Moses, and it was all part of the plan to bring that together. There is a forensic trail. There is a forensic revelation. There is a connection that goes very, 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 very deep. Now, the story goes like this, and I'll just sort of tell you some of these things in the story. And then... Uh, we will just keep following through on this, and we will get into scripture by scripture, and um, you know, and some of the Hebrew, some of the Greek, whatever we need, uh, the, the the Arabic, whatever we need to get into uh, to uh, bring it up from uh, from its original uh, literary points. But the thing of it is, is that um, here's here's how it went. Um, Moses, when he was finding a lot of rebellion with the children of Israel um, uh, but they were complaining because there wasn't water, uh, the Lord said to him, "Speak to the rock, God had a plan and 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 out of the rock will come water but Moses was so perturbed with the the things that uh, and disobedience that the children of Israel were doing that he smote the rock, but when we Carefully read the scripture, we find out that although he did bear uh, a, a what seemed to be a punishment for having struck the rock instead of just speaking to it, we find out that he actually uh, then uh, was involved in doing that in order to bear the sins of the people, and so that the sins of the people went on him. At that time. Uh, so that God would just not wipe them out. And destroy them. for the, And this being done for the sake of Moses. By the same token then. There is an interesting thing that happened. Um, Moses. The Bible says. Was 120 years old. That's 340's. And and, uh, uh, and maybe we'll have time. Some time to go through those 340's. I, I just don't know. But, there, but anyway. He was 120 years old. And um, uh, he he said in his word, he says uh, uh, I cannot go out or come in anymore. Uh, he was had been put on a limit. He could not go out or come in anymore. Now some people say, well, that's because he is so old. Well, no, it wasn't because he was so old. Because the Bible says that his 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 eyes were not dim, his natural force was not abated. He was in excellent condition, but he was under a provision that was holding him back uh, from going over into the promised land. So he was instead taken up to Mount Nebo and given a view uh, over into the promised land. Well, um, exactly what did he see? Now I know that commercially uh, over in Israel and over in those areas, uh, you know, uh, even if you go into the land of Moab, uh, they have um, they have all kinds of uh, of uh, you know pictures that you can buy that supposedly are taken from the mount, and uh, and uh, you know that's all fine that's all interesting, but um, what was shown to Moses at that time? Uh, it says the Lord took him and showed him. So the Lord was showing him something. Now how how did he see it in a way? That is of a nature that would be by how the Lord did it, and we won't get into that because I think we will discover that it's not just standing up there on the mountain and looking out across the the other mountains and plains. That it was something uh, quite a bit more spectacular than that, and and so that's that's what we want to groove into today. Uh, all of those, uh, and if if we have time, all of those interesting factors that are part of the tracks. They're the tracks. <coughs> so, there is a connection. What really happened to Moses when he went up to Mount Nebo supposedly to die and be buried? Was he really uh, buried? In the sense that some people think he was buried? Why is it that even from the time that that was written, no man ever knew where he was buried. Did he bury himself? (coughs) Or are there other meanings to what it it says when it talks about buried? We know that when when the beloved um, Lazarus was mummified almost, so to speak, wrapped in mummy cloth, (coughs) and um, we know that uh, that when he um, that that when he had been left in there several days, to the point that they said, "Well, he Lord, he stinketh by now," uh, and and they said, "You know, he's dead," and he said, "No, he isn't. He he's just sleeping." Uh, oh, they could they could they could not understand that. They could not accept that that he was just sleeping. They said, "Oh no, you know, by now, his his uh, he stinketh his." Uh, His face is putrid. uh, His uh, flesh, pardon me, is putrid. And they they just couldn't get in. And he kept telling them, you know, he's he's sleeping. He's asleep. Finally, just to communicate with them in their language, how they wanted to see it, he said, okay, he's dead. He died. But Jesus understood it in a different understanding. He understood that he was only asleep. And there was a there was a, a meaning. Now, is that relevant to anything that happened to to Moses on Mount Nebo? They called him dead, they called him, you know, buried. <coughs> but no no one ever saw really how it happened, where it happened, except the Lord. And <coughs> the story in the book of jude i mean that that comes up like you know 67 ad and was written way 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 after the time of moses so how long was moses being in this burial place before this argument or this debate took place between michael the archangel And Lucifer, about the body, which this is in the book of Jude, about the body of Moses. They debated over it, and finally Michael just said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. So, was this at the very time that Moses, who said, I can't go out and I can't come back anymore. I've been put on a limitation because I was disobedient for the sake of the children of Israel. So now I've just got to see this from afar. This promised land. What did it mean when he died there? Being in perfect health. Perfect health. Eyes were not dim. Natural force was not abated. He's in perfect health. Now why did he die, need to die? doesn't matter if he's 120 years old. If he's in perfect health. And he's got all his natural forces uh, as same as if he were young. It indicates that he could go on and keep living. So what really did happen there? Well, these are all stories that are very interesting and very provocative. And they all belong to the tracks upon the Mount of Transfiguration. Because that connection is had for the reason that Moses appeared there under all of the circumstances that I have mentioned. That further connects us to the archangel, Michael. And all the meaning about, about Michael. Because Michael had the debate over Moses with, 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 with Satan. So, there was a connection, a definite connection, on the tracks... On Mount Transfiguration with Michael the Archangel. Because without that debate that took place that Michael won, Moses would not have been able to appear on the Mount of Transfiguration. So there is a connectedness with Michael the Archangel. So we need to know that. And that's part of the tracts. So we've got to study the tracks of Michael the Archangel. We've got to study the tracks of Moses. And then we've got to look at the tracks of these three people uh you know uh, Peter, James and John, and why those three were chosen over all the other disciples and we've got to go back and study the trackways because believe me, are there ever tracks and and are there ever uh incredible revelations that have to do uh with the connectedness of why they were chosen, who they were and and Why they went to the Mount of Transfiguration. And why Jesus said, there are some of you here today. Some of you here today that will not taste of death until you've seen the glory of God. Wow. And six to eight days later, they went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And they saw the glory of God. Wow. I just find that so absolutely exciting it's just it's just it's just marvelous, and there's no no question about it, okay, so now, what is the point that we want to to resolve this a little epic that we're in right now? okay, it is this we talked about the church, we talked about the woman and the husband, we talked about people who were just out endeavoring in in the common roles um R-O-L-E-S of of life and how to render and how to, by rendering, you know, build up uh, your trans-accumulation to to your soul and how that, uh, by doing that, you're laying up treasures in heaven. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to understand that by trans-accumulation. But then, this very important statement follows all of that explanation and revelation so if we look at ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 which is just right all part of that that whole subject here's what it says for preposition we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Are you getting that? Do you understand the importance of that? Do you understand that what is really being said here, and we preached on this many times, that although we have all these examples of life, all these repetitive linkings that have physical necessities of life, that we keep rendering those things unto God, but we are constantly aware that what life is really about and where the forces that we have to war with are in constant uh, preparation of stand against us have to do, not in the physical realm, but really have to do in the spiritual realm. Not that these spiritual evil forces do not use physical things, In negative ways against us. But that if we defeat the spiritual negatives, we overcome the physical negatives at the same time. If they are connected. So, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Now, that's where we want to uh, examine a little bit this term principality. That is uh, <clears throat> a word that uh, we like to show where that comes from uh, it has uh, you know some important connections that you need to know um, just for your benefit um, here are some scriptures you can do some looking up we'll still be commenting on these in the future but uh, Moses on not nebo Deuteronomy 34. Six. Also, Deuteronomy um, thirty-one-one. Uh, I can no longer come in and go out on my own. And um, uh, we'll. There's other scriptures, but we'll we'll leave you those to look at for right now. Um, and then let's uh, let's let's just consider where we're going to make uh, some of these connections that have to do. Um, uh, with this whole thing about the principality. Now, <clears throat> the principality, if you're in the Strong's Concordance, and you look it up, uh, it ends up in the Greek, because the scripture was, was converted into Greek, transliterated in the Greek, and the number is 746. Now, many, many times when you're searching the Greek, you want to look at uh, coordinated scriptures. That are uh, root connected. So if you take um, and you stick the principality, which is 746, which means RK, which you know it means very very ancient, that is connected um, to uh, 756. And um, uh, then and, and then if you look in 756 you will see that it is connected to 757, and 757 is connected to 758. So, all these scriptures are connected. Additionally connected to 757 is 743, which means chief angel, archangel. So, principality, being the arche, uh, is connected by roots, to the word archangel, uh, which is from the word archi, archangel, or chief angel. And that's part of principality. So we're, we're talking about here the war of the angels. Okay? And we're talking about, and particularly when we say principality, we, we're, we're talking about chief angel, archangel. Now, when we further connect that in these... Um, uh, in the book of um, uh, of the con- uh, concordance of uh, Strong's uh, in the Greek, uh, to the various uh, 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 numerical uh, reference numbers, uh, we find, as I said, that um, that it goes like this: uh, seven forty six connected to seven fifty six, seven fifty six connected to seven fifty seven, seven fifty seven connected to seven fifty eight, seven 7- 58, referring to chief ruler, prince. Now we see that we have it all right there in the connection uh, to the archy. Uh, it's all connected to the word principality. That it is a chief angel, that it is a prince. And there's the word prince, meaning chief ruler, uh, chief angel, meaning archangel. And, uh, you know, that that is just all right there, ready for us, and and, and totally, uh, you know, under, understandable for us to be able to look into. Now the word prince is an important word, you know. In John sixteen eleven, it talks about the prince of this world is judged, speaking about you know Lucifer Satan. Um, and in that particular reference to judge doesn't mean the white throne judgment. That's basically meaning is discerned. Uh, John fourteen thirty. The prince of this world cometh. Uh, Matthew twelve twenty four. Beelzebub, the the prince of the devils. Uh, Acts three fifteen. Um, killed the prince of life, speaking about Christ being a prince. Um, uh, Acts five thirty one. Right hand to be a prince and a savior. Jesus Christ is speaking about. Uh, Ephesians um, two. Um, uh, two two to the prince of the power of the air, uh, Revelations one five, and the prince of the kings of the earth, John twelve thirty one, sh- uh, shall the prince of this world be cast out? Uh, you know, and this all goes back to our revelation, uh, in you know the uh, the message that I teach about the power of discerning when we ta- and those messages we talked about the dukes. And 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 the uh, the princes and how that God came from Teman, how that that was all con- connected, uh, you know, uh, w- with uh, with Esau and uh, and the whole story. I'm hoping you're remembering that. If you people are new on here and you haven't heard it, you need to go back to some of the the recent uh, broadcasts and get updated, so you'll know what we're talking about. But these all go back. This thing of the prince, this thing of the duke, it's all important. It's going to come out more and more and more in in the course of time. Uh, it is not a minor subject. It is not a minor subject. And so we, we, need, we need to know those things. Okay, now, <clears throat> when we start talking about misunderstandings, and I have spoken to you this before, but I, I feel like at this time I need to go into it just a little bit more. Uh, we, we're talking about Moses. We're, we're on the tracks of Moses here for a little bit. Moses comes into this place in the wilderness where he and the children of Israel uh, abode for 40 years. And they came across all these uh, poisonous snakes. And some of the people were bitten and suffered terrible. Some died. Um, so the Lord said, make this special pole." Now, how that he made it was not understood. Uh, uh, and uh, it 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 uh, has been mis mispreached. It has been misrepresented because they have not understood the revelation of of that of that that pole. And and remember, we're on the track. This is Moses' thing, and we're going to see how that 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 pole, that revelation, right there, connected to to Jesus. It connected to Jesus. So. Uh, we want to look at uh, when we talk about Michael, you know, the archangel. Well, an archangel is is a lord of host, hosts, H O S T S. It's a lord over a host of angels. So uh, Michael, uh, the name has uh, Michael, E L. Uh, the E L stands for 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 God. So so you know he he's a lord of the host of the seraphims. And, um, and, and he, he's quite active. There's, there's a lot of, you know, there's several different examples of scripture where, uh, uh, Michael is, is, uh, involved. And we'll read some of those, uh, scriptures here, Lord Welling. whether we get all to, to all of that tonight. But in the course of our three to five, uh, teachings on this, we will cover it. But, uh, uh, anyway, um uh, in, in the book of, uh, Numbers, as uh, we get into the Book of Numbers uh, on this subject, uh, here here are the kind of things that uh, uh, that we begin to uh, to represent. Uh, there, um, the Lord speaks to Moses and said, "Make a fiery serpent." Uh, the Hebrew word used for serpent here is seraph. But it's interesting that if you take the time to look up in that that book. Uh, numbers twenty-one eight through uh, nine. Numbers tw- uh, twenty-one, chapter twenty-one eight through nine. That the story of the making of this rod or pole with 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 the serpent names the the serpent more than once, and most people never get anything beyond that out of it because it says serpent and so serpent serpent. But get this. If you will take the time to look at those words "serpent" and you will uh, you will look uh, for the translation of the of the serpent uh, in into, into uh, the the Hebrew, you will find that it translates into two different uh, uh, terms, and, um, and so that uh, so that the numbers for the translation are different. They're not they're not the same. You have um, you have eighty three fourteen, and you have uh, fifty one seventy five. Fifty one seventy five uh, is the name Nahash, and uh, is connected with uh, fifty one seventy two as a root, uh, which means divine enchanter. Uh, you know, a snake, a serpent. Uh, so that's that's all interesting. That's that's all interesting. But then. When you get into this 83:14, there is two interpretations of that. But one of them, uh, they have done everything they can, even in this book of of, uh, of the uh, concordance of Strong's, uh, to keep people from getting into this thing of the seraphim. Uh, they've they've tried to keep people out of that because they did not understand what it was saying. They didn't understand what what, the, what it was tell, talking about. So because they did not understand what it was talking about, uh, they kept it as just two different kinds of, 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 of snakes. Uh, one was uh, described uh, as Nahash, and then the other was uh, described uh, as a fiery serpent. Okay, we know that, um, yes, there are those literal fiery type of serpents, uh, we can read about them uh in uh you know in scriptures like isaiah thirty six isaiah thirty six and isaiah fourteen twenty nine and 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 that word uh uh you know that uh, uh, is given there that i've mentioned seraph goes along with that but it doesn't cover all of it if you read uh in um Isaiah 6:26, and let me just turn to that right now. Let me turn to Isaiah, uh, you know, and and let, let's just let's just see what that has. I, Isaiah 6:2 and 6. Isaiah 6:2 six, and 6. And, and uh, let's just look at this. I want I want I want you to get this down. I want you to know this in your mind because this is so important. Okay. So here we go. Isaiah 6. Okay. Here we go. 6. 2 and 6. Above it, let's start with verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, With twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. H-O-S-T-S, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then in verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Now, you can see that there are two relationships, two different definitions of this 83:14. Um, 14 uh, One has to do with a, a what they call a fiery serpent, the bite is very fiery. Uh, and the other, though, has to do about these these fiery uh, angels. These, these fiery seraphim angels. Now, here's a scripture to help you understand that. Uh, th- this scripture will definitely help you understand it. Turn Turn with me to Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7. Okay, now this is so important for you to get this down for you to know it. Okay, here we go. Hebrews chapter one, verse seven, and of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers. He's still talking about the angels, and this can any anyone that's into uh, you know theology knows that this is referring to the angels and who maketh his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. So, angels have been referenced as being a flame of fire. It was done right here in, in uh, this verse. So, when it, when the word fiery, fiery is used in connection to angels. That's Bible. That's Bible language. That's Scripture. Now, Someone says, well, I don't understand that because you don't understand that because you're thinking of fire as a kind of fire that, that burns in a, in a, a stove or, or, or that burns down a house, you know. But fire uh, has many different applications, and one of them that is on the spiritual side is the fire, the fire of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost and the fire. Now, what kind of fire is that? Well, that's the kind of fire that the angels have. They have that Holy Ghost fire. So their their ministry, their messaging ministry, and the other things they do within the bounds of that, is a fiery message. So that's why they fit into this same definition that is given, 83.14, that has to do with fiery entity. Okay. So now you've got this fiery angel and fiery angels, which are the seraphim. Now, when a person does not understand that, then they what they've got is two different snakes. Well, which snake is it that you put up there on the pole? You know, and they're say the saying anything about being both snakes being up there. But what? Now it really makes sense. i told you this story before, but you've got to get this down where you can talk about it intelligently. And I've given you the ammunition to do that. The real pole had on it the seraph, seraphim angel at the top with his foot upon the head of the Nahash snake serpent. And that was what was on the pole. <coughs> And when you saw that, when you saw that, if you had been bitten by the Nahash type of serpents, you were immediately healed so that you would not be sick, so that you would not die. Are you following that? And that just made so much sense. It wasn't that God was using some enchanting type of snake uh, uh, to, to, to be uh, a healer. Some said, well... Uh, after a while, that 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 uh, was destroyed. The only reason that pole was destroyed was because people began to worship it, not not because there was anything evil ever about it. Uh, that that is a fact. So, it, it is uh, you know just such a, a a beautiful thing you know to to understand. Now, here is the beauty, and they say this is the prophecy about Jesus Christ, and this is in uh, Genesis chapter three. And uh, and and verse fifteen, and it's talking. Let's start. Uh, uh, and let's verse. Let's start with th- verse fourteen. And the Lord said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Now people are saying, her seed is a prophecy of the Son of God. And it shall bruise thy head. Her seed shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, that was a prophecy. And there you have Jesus in this prophecy with his head as he's being proxied by the seraphim angel. He's being proxied by the seraphim angel with his foot upon the head of the serpent. Bruising the head of the serpent. Later his feet would be bruised with the the piercing nail in the in in, in the you know in the foot. But the beauty of it and the truth of it <clears throat> is magnificent and so important. And as I already said before, but I'm going to keep saying it until I know you've got it. The Scripture says that the Son of Man would be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent. The, as Moses lifted up the, the word for serpent, there was Nahash or The other one was seraph. So as Moses lifted up the seraph, the seraphim angel, with his foot upon the head of the serpent Nahash, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. Otherwise, if you don't see it like that, you don't interpret it like that, you got, Jesus will be lifted up like a snake. And that is not the way it was, or how it happened. Now, it's so important to get, get the forensics. It's so important to get the facts. Because if we don't get the facts, we don't know the real story. And then we get disconnected to the real truth that has to do with the scriptures that are yet prophetic to be opened up and to, and, and to be revealed. And so one discordant issue creates other discordant issues. One error creates other errors. And people just begin to build, you know, the, their house made out of these discordant airs. And then they wonder why when the wind blows that they, they, the house falls apart. Well, because it never was built on the rock. <clears throat> never was. And that's why it, it blew apart. So, it is so important to, to have such a revelation. So very, very important. Now, we see also in the scripture that I read to you that the seraphims were connected with the Lord sitting on the throne. We see that they were involved with people, uh, taking the coal of fire and and putting it on the the lips uh, of of the prophet to, to purify him. Wow. So, <clears throat> the term for Michael the Archangel is also Lord. And there are many interesting scriptures. Many interesting scriptures. Let's, uh, let's just look at a very few, but let's just look at a few. Go to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And let me read. Uh, let me read there for you, Daniel chapter twelve, because uh, uh, this is a prophecy, and it's very important. And usually, most ministers are familiar with this this chapter. So here, here is what it says: At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince. This just isn't any prince. This is the prince archangel of the seraphims, which standeth for the children of thy people, to represents the, the, the people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to the same time, and at that time the people shall be delivered, every one of them uh, shall be found, uh, written in the book. Now you notice it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't say, at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that is found written in the book. It saying everyone's going to be, everyone shall be delivered, everyone uh, that, that shall be found written in the book. Now, does that sound like a contradiction? Well, it's not when you apply the things that Jesus says. And every, all Israel shall be saved. So, they are all written in the book. And they're all going to be found written in the book. But in other scriptures, it would seem not to say that. But when you put it together and you properly manifest it using all the forensic connections, then you get the truth. So here we see (coughs) that Michael is chosen. He's chosen through to the times, time, and dividing of the times, to be involved in with with people on this this earth. And uh, let's, now, let's now we're in Daniel. Let's let's go over to um, into Daniel to another uh, place. Um, <coughs> um, turn with me then to chapter nine. Let's just take a break for, for a, a, just a jiffy here to throw in the, in, in, the, uh, in Gabriel. Because we have Mike, Michael, E-L, mean, mean God. Then in verse 21 of chapter 9, Daniel, Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And informed me, and said, talked with me, and said, "Oh Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding." So we see that 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 is one of the things that Gabriel, who was an archangel, who was a Lord of Hosts, was also involved, dealing and working with with uh, the people of, of of the earth. Now. Someone says, yeah, but it calls him a man. Yeah, in this particular instance, uh, he appeared as as a human. But if you look in Luke one twenty six, Luke one twenty six, where he is revealing himself to Mary, the mother of Jesus, he is called the angel Gabriel. So it becomes very, very clear that this Gabriel isn't just a man. He can appear like a man, but he is he is an angel, and so that that is very important. Okay, now we're going to just uh, skip over to the tenth chapter, and uh, we have I don't know if I want to take the time to read everything here because it's quite a bit of reading, uh, but um, uh, let's let's skip on down. Daniel uh, is alone. He has been he's been seeking God. Uh, he's had this this uh unusual person appear to him in linen uh, which we uh interpret as methuselah and, um, and then um, Methuselah is uh on the way to answer um, the prayers of Daniel. Daniel has been fasting uh you know for a, a certain number of days uh twenty one days and um, during those uh, Twenty-one days, if we look at verse 13, Daniel is being spoken to uh, by uh, this, this person, Methuselah, and he said, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, I want to make a couple points on this. Sometimes people say well you know we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a big fast I'm gonna fast 21 days I'm gonna fast 40 days you get an unction from God God tells you to do that and that's for sure you do what you feel God wants you to do but <clears throat> generally fasting can be dangerous to the body and in my years of experience I have seen people, uh, damaged their gallbladders and, uh, other parts of their body by, uh, going on fast that were not, uh, anointed by the Holy Ghost. Uh, so I think that, that a person has to be very, very careful. And, and the fact of the matter is, is those 21 days of fasting that, that, uh, uh Daniel did are not given here credit as being what caused the breakthrough because during that whole time that he was fasting for twenty one day for twenty one days, uh Methuselah, this man in linen, could not get through to Daniel. And it wasn't but because of Michael, the archangel, who came and brought principality force against the prince of the kingdom of Persia, that it therefore allowed the Methuselah person in linen to be freed to go on and speak and and give the message uh, to Daniel. And if you read in the tenth chapter, uh, beginning with uh, say, uh, oh, I would I would just start with verse one. And I just, you should just read right on through, uh, you know, uh, that whole chapter. Because it is a super chapter about how that, uh, that uh, uh, these angels, uh, you know, uh, like in the ninth chapter it mentions Gabriel. In the tenth chapter it mentions Michael. And um, <clears throat> I want to read just one verse here, uh, verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes. Now this is so important. Because by saying that, Michael, one of the chief princes, (coughs) makes it very clear that although Michael was an archangel, he was just one of the chief princes. Which are, as I showed you by these numbers in in, in uh, uh, the the Strong's Greek Concordance, uh, are principalities and they are also princes or their chief archangels, and that Michael is only one of them. So there's obviously, according to this scripture, that he of the one, and you should mark that down. There's obviously other other archangels, obviously other princes. It says it right here. Because Michael was only one of them. He was just one of the chief princes. Ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of forensic. And so many things open up in the Word of God. They're beautiful. They're precious. They're sensational. And they're they're for God's people to know and to have. Because they they allow they allow you to to take a trek into deep revelation that otherwise you cannot you cannot possibly go into. And so it's just it's just it's just really really beautiful. And and I just I just love you know the word of God it, the word of God is you know is is beautiful. Now. Um, there are many, many other scriptures. But um, it's interesting how that when you get into che- checking out like the cherubim and the seraphim, uh, I read you that scripture in Isaiah that it described the cherubim, uh, seraphim as having six wings. Um, when you search out the, the cherubim, you'll find that they are shown to have uh, four wings. Like that would be... You know Ezekiel ten nineteen through twenty one uh, to mention one, and uh, uh, that that is just so important. The seraphims, if you read Isaiah six and two and six, you'll see the six wings. So it's Bible, and 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 we don't have time to get into well what what do the six wings mean as versus the uh, four wings as versus the two wings. Uh, there are definitely applications for that, but we have to really, you know, we have to really get into that in order to apply it in, in, in its most spectacular uh, applicable form. And and that is just uh, very meaningful. Someone says, well, what has that got to do with the Mount of Transfiguration? It's about the tracks because Michael is involved. He is involved. So let's just go to Jude, the book of Jude. Let's just go there real fast. So make sure you can see how the, he is involved. Uh, Jude is the book just before Revelations. So go to the book of Jude and let's just read it. And let's just see what it says. Okay? All right. And this is uh, very, very important, uh, you know, for people to to know these things uh, and to see the, the uh, connection. Okay. Um, Now, verse 9, Jude, verse 9. Yet, Michael the archangel, now we see he's clearly called an archangel, while contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, doth not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. Now, it's interesting. It's interesting. That this scripture here is part of the context. And one of the things that we're really big about in the manifest interpretation is the Holy Spirit contextual revelation. That the answers are with usually within the context. Uh, it's, it's contextual. Uh, now there are different kinds of contextual connections. There can be A verse context. There could be a chapter context. There could be a book context, textual, or there could be the whole Bible contextual. But in this case, which is very close, there is a a uh, uh, a a book, and at the same time, because it's such a small book, it's in the same chapter and within just relative few uh, verses apart. And it says, and Enoch also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these sayings. Behold, behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, who is the also? Who is the also? Because that is very, very important. Uh, you know, um, is it Jude? Is it Jude, uh, you know, who was one of the disciples? Who certainly knew about about uh, Peter, John, and James going up to the Mount of Transfiguration, <coughs> the, um, the disciples were not very happy with John and James when John and James asked Jesus Christ if they could be selected as one sitting on the right hand uh, of the throne and the other sitting on the left hand side of the throne of Jesus Christ in heaven. And the the disciples were very angry about that. But isn't it interesting that these sons of thunder, even though they were told that Jesus said, I can't make that decision, isn't it interesting that they were among those persons that were chosen, among the three that were chosen to go up to the Mount of Transfiguration, that before they should taste the death, they would see the glory of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? There is a forensic revelation here, and we want to connect it. Now, because we in the book of Jude that mentions the body of Moses being fought over between Satan and Michael, and then we have in here this connecting scripture, and Enoch also, Whether we take that prophecy that also, including Jude or including Michael, it doesn't matter because it's still associated. It brings Enoch and his thousands of saints into the tracks that lead up to the Mount of Transfiguration and in fact are on the Mount of Transfiguration as we will see. Because this particular statement involves the time that's described in the Old Testament and in Psalms, where there were thousands of these of these uh, angels in this in this cloud that was above the mountain, and this cloud turns out not to just be made out of uh, steam, but it's actually a zith. It's actually a a ship, a gospel ship, a ship of God. And it's, in, it's connected with Enoch, and it's connected with his, with his offspring. And the, this was the kind of cloud that Moses was under throughout his whole ministry, even in the wilderness, even when he left and departed from Egypt. And now on this Mount of Transfiguration, there's a cloud. was moses taken up in this cloud was elijah taken up in this cloud elijah was taken up and i'm sure you that moses was taken up too <clears throat> and i want to talk maybe next week about how they were living how their what was their body state during these Thousands of thousands of years from the time that they lived on earth to the time of the meeting on the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to show you that. Don't have time tonight, but we'll have time as we get, get up the road with this. It's going to be interesting. That cloud was definitely a ship of God. And was that how on Mount Nebo that... Moses was really able to see because the Lord showed Moses the land. Wow. There are so many tracks. And they are so interesting. Enoch is connected on the trackway. The thousands of saints are connected on the trackway of the Mount of Transfiguration. Michael, the archangel, is connected on the on the trackway. As he is connected, that includes him as the Lord of Hosts of angels of the seraphim. They are connected. The acts of things that that Moses did has a certain connection, like the thing I told you about the the seraphim, the fiery one, that was put on the pole. It's all connected, connected to Christ. That that pre- that transfiguration. Mountain preceded the crucifixion. It's all connected to the story. It's part of the tracks. And the full meaning of that is yet even to be revealed. It's just a gorgeous, beautiful experience that happened. What exactly was it that Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration? What exactly was it? that Peter, James, and John heard on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, what it was, for one thing, was something that they were not to speak to any person, any man. When they came down from the mountain, they were not able to share that experience. It was to be kept a secret. For how long that was? Well, that's part of the tracks. We'll get into that. How did some of these people like like uh, Jude know that story that he found? Someone said, well, there was a book called The Assumption of Moses that was probably copied. You know, I don't believe that was it at all. I believe because of the connection, because he was a disciple, that some of these disciples were able to be told the story but they were told by Peter. Who was up there on the mount. And I believe. There are tracks for all of that. And Peter spoke about things that. You know were absolutely new material. And there's things that just suddenly come up in the Bible. This new material. Things that were heard. On the mount of transfiguration. That you need to know that have powerful force, that have such powerful revelation that they can even melt, that energy can melt a black hole, make it disappear. Blessed be the name of God. These are exciting, super exciting times. Just absolutely super exciting times. I don't want to miss out on being able to share with you all these wonderful things. Because they tell the whole story and the whole truth. And they're just beautiful. You know, Michael, he was involved in the war in heaven. It was his Lord of Hosts forces that defeated Lucifer in that first war in heaven, Revelation 12:7. He's mentioned in Jude, he's mentioned in Daniel 10:13 and 21. So chapter 10, verse 13 and verse 21, and he's mentioned as I read to you in Daniel 12:1. He's not just a small picture, but there was enough said there that he could be opened up. It can be opened up. Those tracks can open up so we can begin to see the greater truth, the real power of the happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what mountain was that? They don't seem to know. Different people have given different mountains. We want to reveal to you which mountain it was and how, re- how relevant, how important that that is to the knowledge of things, how, how definitely important it is for you to know which which mountain it was. You know, there are many other interesting things written in other books. The Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, 4Q Enoch, has some interesting things. The Book of Enoch, uh, 14 through 15, has some interesting things. But there are all kinds of other bits of information that we want to share with you because it is your time to know. It is your time to have your mind opened up, your heart opened up. It's your time to swim in the continuing episode of the baptisms of the Holy Ghost and fire. Blessed be the name of God. There are So many things that we need to get into. We want to get into the Crystal Sea and that revelation. There's even a few little goodies well worth opening up in the Song of Moses. We want to really bring you on that trail and help you to to see the revelation in a way that you have never, ever been able to see it before. And give you additional scriptures and additional insights so that you need not be confused nor as winds of doctrines that blow you about with their confusing different explanations. Because you see, there's a glory of God of the seraphim revelation. And there's a glory of God of the cherubim revelation. And there's a glory of God of the ophidim revelation. And God wants us to understand each one of those distinctly and differently. Because in knowing them that way, we're able to read them in their distinguished character. And it has a fulfillment that's in addition to You're just putting them into a general explanation. The angels, they stand up for God's people. And it's time for us to recognize that God is using angels in our time. He's using angels in our time to stand up. For God's people and for this message. Blessed be the name of God. So there is nothing that is so profound and so absolutely full of blessings and the thoughts of God as coming into those understandings of what the continuity of the Word is. And the meaning of what the word is, because so many people have been have been confused and have been lost uh, by mistranslations and by misinterpretations. And this word of God is rich and full of re, of the redemptive uh, and redeeming power of time and the reconciliation. Of this truth, like that scripture in Revelation that talks about a key that was opened in the hands of this angel that came down, that was a star that came down from heaven. Before we knew it was an angel, before we knew it had a key, all we would know is that it, there was a star. And we might read. In Daniel, and we shall shine as the stars forever. And people might think, well, that just means that, you know, we're going to have an aura. That we're going to have a glow to us. But they didn't garner, they didn't open up the meaning how that star is a terminology that is a metaphor for angel. And once angel comes down to earth, or this star comes down to earth, and suddenly... In Revelations, it is called an angel and has the keys. These keys of knowledge, which can open hell and which can open death, are meant to be in the hands of the people of God through being connected to the body of Jesus Christ. Through our assimilation to Him. As we are baptized In his life and baptized in his death. And we become one with him. There are no reasons anymore. For us to get into those kind of mentalities. Well we'll understand it better in the by and by. That song. I guess it was okay for its time. But that song is not for the strong-minded anymore. God has opened a new song. And that's why he's revealing the revelation of the crop circles. It's all part of the new song ministry. It's all part of the new time revelation. What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration? What happens to a body when it goes into an effect that is so tremendous that even the clothing that is worn by that body is affected by the light of the, of the garment. What kind of experience creates a dematerialization and then a re-visualization so that you see this body in its transfigured forms. How was it that first it was just Jesus speaking and Elijah and Moses speaking through him as Jesus speaking speaking Moses and speaking the revelation of Elijah, and by speaking it, causing their materialization to be with him on the mount. What was it that really, really happened there? What was the full story? What was so superimposing that it must not even be told to the disciples who had been taught, who had been involved? What special thing did the sons of thunder have and Peter who had, been, who had his name changed to Peter also called Cephas which means stone or rock and said that the church would be built upon the foundation of that rock what was the connection there between the three of, of those chosen persons how did they connect to this whole story? Well, we're going to go on next week. And we're going to just keep taking this until we have opened asunder this whole book of Revelation. This whole story of the glory of the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And we want to get into the, the SWOO revelation which is about where the bodies are held and how that they are able to transcend across generations of time we we want to get into these other revelations where you can see by the light that shines from above not blurred not marred by concoctions of men Stories of fell-ins, of theologians, preachers, evangelists. But something that is lit by the glow that has lit the innermost being of the soul. Praise the name of God. Okay, we're going to take the time to do some Gentile. We thank you so much for being involved here with us today in this uh, wonderful search for the tracks on the Mount of Transfiguration. Today, with Jin Tao. I want to work on people who are having thyroid problems to the extent of having and excess, excessive making of hormones. Where there is a, a mix-up in the body, in the hypothalamus and the pituitary, and there is a pseudo-manufacturing going on, replacing the literal body's mechanism and therefore causing there to be too many hormones that are released to the thyroid. We're going to use the regulating hormones, which are chemicals produced by the hypothalamus, and we're going to ask for them to be released as hormones by the pituitary by the pituitary gland to regulate that output so that it comes back into normal that has the sending factor to the thyroid. <coughs> Here we go. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to hypothalamus. Begin to send messages across the neural networks, touching on every hemisphere of the brain. Begin to send energies, strong, formatted, with precision, causation. to the regulation of hormones. Hypothalamus begin to send out this message now. To regulate the hormones to the pituitary. Pituitary, refer back and confer to the hypothalamus. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus. territory begin to take note that your body has been invaded by a false message, which is producing excess of hormones to some of the people out there who are having problems with their thyroids, and begin to immediately make adjustments with these regulating hormones that is now being sent out by the hypothalamus in the way of messaging command through you, the pituitary. Begin this process immediately. And so, people, God bless you. Our love to you. I do want to say, it doesn't seem to do any good when I do say it, but uh, we've put on the, on the blog section uh, two new posts. One is a love blog. People say it's quite beautiful. And the other one is a continuation of the crop circles. And granted, it's got some high stepping language in it. But God wants you to read that. You don't want to be swallowed up in mystery. You don't want to be swallowed up in, uh, as though being confounded and forced to be drawn back and kept from being able to go over to the promised land. But step out there in faith because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And God will bless you in your reading. I don't intend to put any more um, blogs on until I get some serious people coming on and making comments. If you're having any kind of problems getting on for any reason, send an email. My email address is there where you can get hold of me. But I see it simple Jerry. Just get that to me and you'll see it there listed. And we'll take it from there and we'll get things right. God bless you. We love you. Bye.